Hello. Hello. Just coming to you from the top of the podcast to say we're not in the same room. (laughs) We're in our different uh, castles and obviously under lockdown here in the UK. So we are trying remote recording. Giving it a blast. And hopefully it pans out. So hopefully if you're hearing this, it's all worked out. We've ironed out the technical kinks. Fingers crossed. And uh, we can continue recording and releasing the podcast during the lockdown. Keeping safe, but keeping recording. And keeping it grim. (laughs) Yes. On with the podcast. On with the podcast. Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grimm Reading. The Three Languages. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grimm Reading. An aged count once lived in Switzerland, who had an only son, but he was stupid and could learn nothing. Then said the father, Listen, my son, I can get nothing into your head. Let me try as I will. You must go from here. I will give you into the care of a celebrated master, who shall see what he can do with you. The youth was sent into a strange town, and remained a whole year with the master. At the end of this time, he came home again, and his father asked, Now, my son, what have you learnt? Father, I've learnt what the dogs say when they bark. (laughs) Lord have mercy on us, cried the father. Is that all you have learnt? I will send you into another town, to another master. The youth was taken there, and stayed a year with this master likewise. When he came back, the father again asked, My son, what have you learnt? He answered, Father, I've learnt what the birds say. Then the father fell into a rage and said, Oh, you lost man, you have spent precious time and learned nothing. Are you not ashamed to appear before my eyes? I will send you to a third master. But if you learn nothing this time also, I will no longer be your father. That's not how it works. Yeah, it's it's quite a threat though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I'm confused already. (laughs) (laughs) There's a boy who's learned what the dogs say. And what the birds say. Well, like in English or... (laughs) Okay, I guess the story is going to answer these questions. Uh... (laughs) Or maybe not. The youth remained a whole year with the third master also. And when he came home again and his father inquired, My son, what have you learned? He answered, Dear father, I've learned this year what the frogs croak. Then the father fell into the most furious anger, sprang up, called his people over, and said, This man is no longer my son. I cast him out and command you to take him into the forest and kill him. Oh, I mean, it's a bit extreme. That's pretty extreme. They took him there, but when they should have killed him, they could not do it for pity and let him go, and they cut the eyes and the tongue out of a deer that they might carry them to the old man as a token. So... The dad's basically said, oh. go and kill my son. He spent three years learning three different animal languages and his father tried to kill him and now... He's escaped, but they've... Right, because we, I've seen this trick before. Yeah, we are, it's the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> it is. The, the old deer eyes and tongue trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the youth wandered on and after some time came to a fortress 
where he begged for a night's lodging. Yes, said the lord of the castle. If you will pass the night down there in the old tower, go there. But I warn you, it is at the peril of your life, for it is full of wild dogs which bark and howl without stopping, and at certain hours a man has to be given to them whom they at once devour. At certain hours? The 5.30 uh, bloke and <laughs> sort of... The 5.30 feeding show. <laughs> this is This is strange. <laughs> but I have a feeling it's going to get on well. The whole district was in sorrow and dismay because of these dogs, and yet no one could do anything to stop it. <laughs> what can you do? What, so what often, can you do? <laughs> the youth, however, was without fear and said, Just let me go down to the barking dogs and give me something that I can throw to them. They will do nothing to harm me. Confident. He's a very confident little chap. They gave him some food for the wild animals and led him down to the tower. When he went inside, the dogs did not bark at him but wagged their tails quite amicably around him, <laughs> ate what he set before them, and did not hurt one hair on his head. Oh, lovely. They're wagging their tails. They're loving it. I know. Next morning, to the astonishment of everyone, he came out again safe and unharmed, and said to the lord of the castle, The dogs have revealed to me in their own language why they dwell there and bring evil on the land. They are bewitched and are obliged to watch over a great treasure which is below in the tower and they can have no rest until it is taken away. And I have likewise learned from their discourse how that is to be done. Then all who heard this rejoiced, and the lord of the castle said he would adopt him as a son if he accomplished it successfully. So he went down again, and as he knew what he had to do, he did it thoroughly and brought a chest full of gold out with him. The howling of the wild dogs was heard no more. They had disappeared, and the country was freed from the trouble. Sorted. I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed that basically it's, it just says he went away and then he came back and it was done. I want us to know how he did it. Yeah. Well, all we know is that he did it thoroughly. Oh, okay. He did a, he did a good, thorough job. Excellent. <laughs> he learned what they needed. He did it. And <laughs> did he brought it. out some gold. Job done. And now he's going to get a new dad. He's got a new daddy. And yep. he's living with new daddy. And it, it's all good. Lovely. It's lovely, isn't it? After some time, however... He took it into his head that he would travel to Rome. On the way to Rome, he passed by a marsh in which Frog? a number, in which a number of frogs were sitting croaking. You're uh -huh. onto it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He listened to them, and when he became aware of what they were saying, he grew very thoughtful and sad. Oh dear. At last, he arrived in Rome, where the Pope had just died. <laughs> <laughs> what? And there was great difficulty as to whom they should appoint as his successor. They at length agreed that the person chosen as Pope should be distinguished by some divine and miraculous token. And just as that was decided on, the young Count entered into the church, and suddenly two snow-white doves flew on his shoulders and remained sitting there. The ecclesiastics recognized that as a token from above, and asked him on the spot if he would be Pope. What? He was undecided, and knew not if he were worthy of this, but the doves counseled him to do it. And at length he said, yes. Then he was anointed and consecrated, and thus was fulfilled the prophecy he had heard from the frogs on his way, which had so disturbed him, that he was to be his holiness, the Pope. Then he had to sing a mass, and did not know one word of it. But the two doves sat continually on his shoulders, and said it all in his ear. The end.
it's a papal origin story. Mm-hmm. What the Dickens? What the Grimms? What the Grimms? So, I mean, first thing I've got to say is, you didn't seem to pick up on the fact that it started in Switzerland, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it went to Rome, and he became the Pope. We've barely ever had the name of a place, a fictional place, let alone a real country. Yeah. Normal, normally, it's sort of taking place in a fantasy land, right? Once upon a time, yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. else. This is, there was a boy in Switzerland who wanted to learn how dogs speak, and then he became the Pope in Rome. It's yeah, nice. I mean, it starts with a Swiss count who has a stupid son who can't learn anything and ends with a new pope in the Vatican. Yeah. With two little dove translators on his shoulders, <laughs> yes. translating the Latin into whatever he speaks. Well, yeah, I, I don't know the in, ins and outs, but um, <laughs> I assume that's what was happening. That's incredible. What? So the little frog, little froggies, little froggies were... Uh, Making him sad. Well, do you want to? Do you want to go? Should we go from the the start just quickly? Let's go from the start. So he he's he's not learning stuff. He's not picking stuff up. His dad is no. just like sick of this. He's like, right, you're going off to live uh, with someone else, and you're going to learn something. Yeah. He comes back for some reason. We don't know why. The only thing he's learned is uh, he can speak to dogs. <laughs> yes. He's furious. Sent him off a second mm-hmm. time. I think this was another year. So the years are adding up. He's getting older. Yeah, and uh, this time he speaks to birds. He learns to speak to birds, and you think you think twice yeah, burnt, yeah. his dad wouldn't send him out again because you've got a pretty good idea what's going to happen the third time. But he thoroughly threatened him. He said, "If you yeah. don't learn this, you're no longer my son, no mate." My son. So he he goes out and he learns to speak to frogs, and of course he's excommunicated from the family, thrown out into the woods, and his men were told to kill him. Yeah. But they were too scared and they took back the eyes and the tongue of a deer as token. And he's in the he's in the forest in a new castle and these terrible wild dogs are, are causing all kinds of problems. Have human sacrifices to them. You're expecting them to just howl and bark at him and rip him to shreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead they start wagging their tails. Yeah. I don't know what he says to them to get them to wag their tails. It's all very mysterious, isn't it? It's all very, like, it, commenting on stuff from afar. Yeah. Just sort of floating above the action. You know, he, he discoursed with them and understood uh, what they wanted. It's like, yeah. wh- what? It glosses over a lot, and a lot of the, like, yeah. major plot points happen off screen, as it were. Like, just, we don't exactly. get to actually witness them, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he got a new dad out of it, so he's, he's well happy. I hadn't, genuinely hadn't considered that <laughs> aspect. He's got a brand new daddy. <laughs> Brand new dad. But then you think, okay, that's great. That's how his story ends. He's, he's got a lovely uh, lovely family and a castle and presumably a Swiss forest. Lovely. No, he gets in his head he's going to Rome. Don't know why. That's not explained. It's like, I want to go to Rome. <laughs> it's very marshy on the way. Be careful. <laughs> very marshy. So then if I'm to understand it correctly, he goes through or by this marsh. Yeah. There's some frogs having a chat. Yeah. Now they're talking about him saying... Oh, you see that bloke over there? He's going to be Pope. And he hears this, and that yeah. makes him sad. Makes him reason. sad, yeah. He doesn't want to be Pope. No. He doesn't then turn around and go home. He, he carries on to Rome. Interesting. They're, and they're, obviously, a Pope's just died. Yeah. And clearly, they haven't got a system in place. They haven't got the whole white smoke thing going <laughs> on. And uh, Because the two doves land on him, they all say, you're going to be Pope. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You go on holiday to Rome. Before you know it, bam, you're the Pope. 
<laughs> Imagine you're on a guided tour of St. Peter's <laughs> and then you're like, oh, oh, look, there, there's a lot of uh, bishops hanging around and then a pigeon flies on your head Yeah, and they all like rush at you Yeah, and you're suddenly That's, the Pope. It's scary, isn't it? It could happen to anyone. It could it's happen to any tale. of us. It could happen to any of us. <laughs> if you see some frogs on your like trip to Rome. Then <laughs> Go home. Yeah, 180 out of there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and then the doves tell him what to do, basically. He didn't know how mm. to say mass, and they, like, spoke in his ear and told him what to do, and he was he was the Pope. The end. The end. Very strange story. Bizarre. Like, not really... I mean, yes, it's had... We've mentioned some tropes and things that have come up before, but it's not... As a story, it's not really like anything we've had so far. So it was collected by the Brothers Grimm from a lawyer called Hans Trufer from Visp in southwest Switzerland, I believe in 1819. So okay. the story is Swiss. Uh, it appeared in the second edition, story 33, um, taking the place of Puss in Boots, which was erased. Now, you see, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, um, you can say that again. Good story, but is it Puss in Boots? <laughs> So we don't really have any more insight than that. And I don't think Hans Trufer gave any other stories to the collection. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the Grimm's certainly weren't Catholic. They were very much Protestant. But they perhaps, I thought, perhaps they wanted to represent Swiss-German speakers in their collection because they're trying sure. to represent every, the, you know, the German nation, mm-hmm. uh, how they saw it. So it's, it's a very strange story with not much written about it that I found. Okay. However... I've compiled together everything I could come up with, Adam, and I'm going to present three angles, three theories as to what might be going on in this story. Okay, interesting. Love a good map theory. <laughs> Firstly, a historical interpretation. Okay. Secondly, a romantic interpretation. And then a psychological interpretation. Oh, okay. So historical, romantic, psychological. Historical, then. What, what's this theory? Historical. So, as you said, it feels like a papal legend, perhaps more than a fairy tale, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a Pope origin story. Yeah. It's set in a real-life country and ends with the hero becoming head of the Catholic Church. <laughs> but which Pope could this be? Was there ever a Swiss Pope? Can a Pope be chosen by birds or a miracle? In the Brothers Grimm notes, they say that it's likely related to Pope Sylvester II, who was Pope from 999 AD to 103 AD. And that's all they say on the matter. Wow. Yeah, I quickly realized, Adam, that this is not my area at all. So, so I contacted some experts to see if they could help. Namely, Bree and Fry from the Pontifax podcast. No way. Pontifax are another Rexy pot, and they are ranking and reviewing every single Pope, one by one. They were very obliging to my request, and have sent us their thoughts and research into the historical accuracy of the three languages. Oh, that's amazing. So, handing over to Pontifax now. Hello, Matt and Adam. And Grim Reading listeners, I'm Fry. 
and I'm Brie from Pontifex. And we did some looking into your three languages tale, and we've come to the conclusion that what you're looking at is an amalgamation of at least three famous saints. Pope St. Fabian, Pope St. Gregory, and St. Francis of Assisi. Now, historically, there are no popes from Switzerland, and even the popes who are from the Holy Roman Empire, which incorporated Swiss territory, are not from that region. So we can eliminate that right there. But the Swiss have a very important papal legacy as they provide the Swiss Guard, which was formally established in 1506 and continues to serve the pontiff today. Are they only Swiss? You have to have Swiss citizenship to be in the Swiss Guards. Do you really? You do. You can be of any nationality, but you have to have Swiss citizenship. So only seven popes in the history of the papacy have been elected by acclamation or inspiration. And generally, this has been through the very humdrum, non-miraculous, unanimous agreement of the cardinals, or by something called vox populi, which is the voice of the people. The only two elections that had miraculous elements to them are Pope Gregory I, who was a monk with no desire to be pope. And when he realized that they intended to consecrate him as Pope, he fled to the forest until God's divine light revealed his hiding place to the masses. The second one, and the one most closely related to this story, is Pope Fabian. Pope Fabian was a layman in 236 AD and not a member of the church. He was just a random, average Joe who was visiting Rome when he happened upon the Roman clergy debating who should be Pope after the sudden and unexpected death of Pope Antares. He decided he was going to watch the deliberations with the rest of the crowd, and as he did so, a dove landed on his head. This absolutely stunned the crowd, who took the dove to be a sign of divine inspiration, and on the spot, Fabian was unanimously elected as the next pope. But there's more! The end of the legend, where the doves are giving the newly elected pope the words for the mass, is very similar to an event recorded in Peter the Deacon's Vita of Pope Gregory the Great in chapter 28. There is no direct quote here, because the English is... The English edition is quite hard to find, but the story goes that Gregory was dictating a homily on Ezekiel to a scribe, But for some reason, perhaps due to Gregory's ill health, Pope Gregory was behind a curtain. And as he would dictate his homily, he would go silent for long periods of time before speaking again. And so the scribe became curious and peeked behind the curtain. And when he did, he saw a dove perched on Gregory's head, bent down with its beak in Gregory's mouth. When the dove moved his beak from Gregory's mouth, the Pope would speak, and then the dove would put his beak back in Gregory's mouth and Gregory would stop again. The dove was providing Gregory with the divine inspiration to produce the homily. He's regurgitating theology. Baby burden it. Baby burden it. But there's still more, because the speaking with animals motif is most famously associated with St. Francis of Assisi who lived in the 1200s and has had a very strong following all the way from the medieval world up to today. 
He would often speak with animals and is also depicted with birds when he's shown in religious iconography. But there's an even closer similarity to your tale where the youth is confronted with human-devouring dogs. And this is very similar to the story of St. Francis and the Wolf of Gubbio. When St. Francis came to the city of Gubbio, he discovered that a wolf had been terrorizing the city, killing livestock and then escalating to killing men. This had the entire city in a state of perpetual panic. So St. Francis decided to go out of the protection of the city to confront the wolf. And when he did, the wolf rushed at him. But St. Francis made the sign of the cross and ordered him to stop in the name of God. And the wolf laid down at his feet. We have an account of what happened in the Fioretti, which is the Little Flowers of St. Francis, a 14th century Vita of the saint. Brother Wolf, thou hast done much evil in this land. All men cry out against thee, the dogs pursue thee, and all the inhabitants of this city are thy enemies. But I will make peace between them and thee, O Brother Wolf, and so be thou no more offend them, and they shall forgive thee all thy past offenses and neither men nor dogs shall pursue thee any more. The wolf agreed, and Francis was able to lead the wolf back into the city, where he convinced the townsfolk that if they protected the wolf from hunger by feeding him, he would do no harm again. The wolf lived two years at Gubbio. He went familiarly from door to door without harming anyone, and all the people received him courteously. At last, after two years, he died of old age, and the people of Gubbio mourned his loss greatly, for when they saw him going about so gently amongst them all, he reminded them of the virtue and sanctity of St. Francis. Now, just as a bonus, as to why the Brothers Grimm thought that this tale might be a reference to Pope Sylvester II, is a little beyond me, because yes, Pope Sylvester II definitely has a lot of famous legends surrounding him. And they are quite magical, but they're usually very dark. He's generally infamous for stories about spell books and sorcery, for having a brazen head that predicted the future, and a whole lot about demons. Like, packs with demons. Demons that are coming for his soul. Demons absolutely everywhere. He's also the pope whose bones allegedly rattle just before the death of a current pope. So he's certainly more dark than this story would imply. He just does a little dance? He does a little dance when the current pope is going to die. So please stay still, Pope Sylvester II. We hope this has been helpful. We love your show, and we can't wait to hear how you write this story. Wow, that was amazing. That was genuinely that was amazing. so lovely, and uh, a lot of knowledge to go through. A lot of knowledge to go through. Um, uh, we did actually go through it, and... Um, the recording stopped so we're now re-recording <laughs> so essentially we're talking about three people that yeah. with potential connections to this story gregory there's fabian and there is saint francis of assisi yeah they're all saints two are popes francis of assisi wasn't a pope but the other two were yes gregory was caught with a bird 
in his mouth, a little dove, like throwing up some <laughs> some knowledge, some divine knowledge Lovely. into the Pope's mouth. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was also Fabian. He was just in the, he was on holiday, basically. Yes. In the crowd outside the Vatican and basically a dove landed on him and everybody rounded on him and went, you're Pope now. And yeah. he went, what? It was the worst nightmare scenario we talked about earlier. You're on holiday in the Vatican and suddenly you've been made Pope. (laughs) That literally happened in the third century AD to a guy called Fabian. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah, that's terrifying. So that that was Fabian. and That's very much like our story. And then there was St. Francis of Assisi who uh, lived in Gubbio. There was a terrorist uh, wolf who'd been murdering people. Yes. And then... Uh, basically Francis goes out there to speak to him he basically negotiates peace between the wolf and the, and the town absolutely so we've got three like genuine papal legends that yeah. perfectly match pretty much the story here and then they also mention that the Brothers Grimm had suggested that the story might be related to Sylvester the second yeah Pontifax have completely skewered that they said uh uh-uh, uh nope <laughs> don't know what you're talking about but Sylvester sounds very interesting. It was all a very sort of Harry Potter-esque. Dementors flying around yes. for his soul. <laughs> very demonic. Uh, and his bones rattle when a Pope dies. So that's what I took from that. Yeah, so in the Brothers Grimm notes, they say, oh, this is likely related to the legend of Saint Pope Sylvester II. Perhaps the reason they thought that is because there are a lot of legends around Sylvester mm-hmm. II. So that might be where the confusion comes from. Yeah. And then finally, yeah, um, no Swiss Pope ever, but they pointed out the connection with the Swiss Guards. So, yeah, that's another little interesting connection with Switzerland. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just to say again, thanks very much for that. That was Matt kept that a complete secret from me. And uh, it was a (laughs) lovely surprise. Great to hear your voices. And yeah, that was that was a lovely surprise. So thanks very much for doing that. Absolutely amazing. Thank you so that much, so guys. Cool. That's historical. Now we've got romanticism. Romanticism and nature, specifically. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about the help from the animals in this story. Sure. The boy learning the language of animals becomes Pope. Yeah. Help from animals is a common aspect of the stories we've come across so far. You've got uh, the birds in Hansel and Gretel who guide uh, the children. You've got the the snakes and the three snake leaves help them out. The queen bee, the white snake, the golden goose to an extent, um, the fish in the gold children. Very, very often animals intervene and help out our heroes. So the Grimm's were slap bang in the middle of what's known as the Romantic Movement or Romanticism. It's the framework within which the stories were gathered. The Cambridge Dictionary defines Romanticism thusly. A style of art, music and literature popular in Europe in the late 18th and early 19th centuries that deals with the beauty of nature and human emotions. So in terms of artists, think you know, uh, poets and writers like Byron, Keats, Wordsworth, Schiller, Goethe, and in music, think Chopin, Liszt, Schumann, Brahms, Beethoven in places, the music we use on the podcast, by and large. Simply put, Romanticism was an artistic and intellectual movement that exalted nature 
with a focus on the individual's subjective experience and feelings, in contrast to the objective rationality and reason of the Enlightenment. So Romanticism came after the Enlightenment. So the Enlightenment basically led directly into the Romantic era, did it? Yes, and it's almost it's a reaction against sure. those values of the Against a very sort of... I guess not necessarily secular, but of like logic, reason, science, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Romantics were also fascinated by paganism, primitive man, and folk culture, which is why the Brothers Grimm liked, well, did what they did, but also they liked talking about how these stories tap into ancient pagan ways of being. Mm-hmm. Importantly, the Romantics had a spiritual view of nature. So nature became an object of fascination with the Romantics. It was no longer something to kind of be conquered or overcome or measured, but to be revered and worshipped. It was the very centre of your spiritual connection to the earth. Okay. So during the Enlightenment, religion, God, and the church came under heavy intellectual fire. Where the Enlightenment ditched religion in favour of humanism, rational humanism, it can be argued that the Romantics instead turned spirituality inwards to the soul and feeling. They believed in God, but they were sceptical of organized religion. Instead, what's divine is what moves you, Mm -hmm. be it a a vista or a poem or a book. God isn't in the church. He's in the the quiet of the forest, the majesty of the mountain. Yeah. So the three languages essentially says, if you can understand nature, you'll unlock the key to salvation. This is a very romantic idea. Okay. Okay. In fact, romantic poets often talked about the language of nature or the voice of nature. At an early point in the movement, some romantic poets were actually highly controversial, flirting with blasphemy in comparing nature to the divine. It's odd to think about now because we live with that legacy. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, I read that German writers in particular wrote about nature itself as a hidden language or word. In a religious sense, seeing nature as God's word. You know, in the beginning, there was the word. Sure. German poets would write about nature as a language or a word, very similar to what we've just come across. Okay. So this revolution in intellectual thought is happening while the Brothers Grimm are writing their stories, and it's contributing to the politics, philosophy, and art of the time. It's what's making their collection of folk stories relevant. It's the Romantic movement. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you contextualize the intellectual framework in which the Brothers Grimm's are working, the three languages and many other stories perhaps might start to make a bit more sense. Okay, I can see that. The, the, the road for this character, the road towards salvation and enlightenment is basically through understanding and communing with nature. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So putting it as simple as possible, it was an era where nature was being worshipped. You know, we talked before about the Brothers Grimm idea of natura poesi, the natural poetry of the people. Very romantic Mm -hmm. idea. And if you think about it in that context, to have a story where a boy learns to commune with nature and then becomes heavenly and divine, it kind of makes sense what's going on there, what they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah? No, I like it. (laughs) It's interesting that the idea... idea these days, I think, of, of uh, seeing God's work in nature mm. is something we're very used to, isn't it? You know, celebrating nature as, as part of, like, the religious experience. No, I think that's a very, very good, solid theory. Well, the kind of, the only counter to it, as in, 
that is definitely kind of what's going on in the period mm-hmm. intellectually. But there are lots of other stories of talking with animals that predate romanticism. Sure. For example, um, I found one in the Canterbury Tales, which is from the 1300s. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, we've literally just heard papal legends that far predate romanticism with sure. these guys communing with animals. So there is more yeah. to it. There is more to it than that. There's more sort yeah, of yeah. threads through history. But that's just, that, that's quite a strong one, the romantic thread. And this, I guess, leads us on to theory number three. Psychological interpretation. Here we go. The one you've been waiting for, Adam. Let's do some psychology because I've perhaps been a tad dismissive in the past on certain psychological theories. So our good friend Bruno Bettelheim writes about this story in his 1976 book, The Uses of Enchantment, The Meaning and Importance of Fairy Tales. Mm-hmm. So I, it's Bruno's theories that I gave you in Hansel and Gretel, which you were not impressed with. <laughs> I I was thinking, yeah, about Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, I was not, I was not buying that. So for anyone who's not uh, heard the episode or doesn't remember Bruno, Bruno's general idea is that fairy tales help children to develop psychologically, processing conflicting emotions, and they represent the harmonious balance of the different parts of the mind. Fairy tales are important for, like, healthy child mental development. Mm-hmm. So, for Bruno, the idea of being cast out, he says that for a child hearing this, it's about the anxiety of, but also the intrigue in leaving home. Okay. So being cast out by your parents is common in our stories, as we mentioned earlier. And usually, though, the child thrives and surpasses their parent. They become a princess or a king or whatever. Yeah. And this is a source of comfort for children or adolescents hearing these stories who perhaps on some level fear leaving home, but they also on some level want to break out as well. I get that. Conflicting emotions, yeah. On the three languages specifically, Bruno says, The son of this story is youth in search of itself. The three different masters in faraway places to whom the son goes to learn about the world are the unknown aspects of the world and himself, which he needs to explore. So here's what Bruno thinks he learned from the masters. The animals represent the three parts of our mind, the id, the ego, and the superego. Are these sort of basic psychological concepts? Because I I mean, I know of, of the id and the ego and the super ego, but I don't really understand what they are. I'd just like to say, as well, with the romanticism stuff as well, I am not an expert in any way on any of this, okay? So if I get something wrong, please forgive me. That's fine. You know more about this than me. Let's, so what's, what's the id? So the, the id is like the, the reptilian part of your brain, the oldest part of your brain, which is like okay. your base desires and urges. Okay. Your ego is the kind of, it's like reality. It's like the part of your mind that interacts with the world, the, the middle bit. Okay. And then the superego represents like higher ideals. Yeah, your morality in a way. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So for Bruno, the dogs represent the ego. Okay. They, they show instinctual freedom. Freedom to bite, to excrete in an uncontrolled way. And <laughs> Sorry. And to indulge sexual needs without restraint. This is Bruno talking, not me. <laughs> in an uncontrolled way. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. they stand for higher values like loyalty and friendship. Essentially, the boy 
tames his wild side and takes control of his nature for good. Okay, right, just process of elimination then. I'm going to guess that the birds are the superego, which mm. leaves the frogs to be the id. The birds are indeed the superego. They represent the ability of the soul to soar, seemingly free from what binds us to our earthly existence. It makes sense. And the frogs are the id. They represent the most ancient base part of our mind, as frogs are ancient amphibians. Mm-hmm. The boy has mastered all these languages and thus mastered essentially all these parts of himself, which you need to do to grow up healthily. Bruno concludes, I know of no other fairy tale in which the process of an adolescent reaching his fullest self-actualization within himself and also in the world has been described so concisely. Having achieved this integration, the hero is the right person for the highest office on earth. Representing you are a complete person now because you've tamed and mastered all three aspects of your mind yeah they're all integrated yeah mm-hmm. that's his, that's his theory i mean is this purely symbolic or is he actually tying it to the story itself because i would mm. argue like mm-hmm. the birds okay as an example makes sense the idea that they represent the superego whereas i wouldn't really say what the whole bit with the frogs and, like, whisper it, oh, he's going to be Pope. Like, does that really represent the id? Or is it purely symbolic, like, it's yeah. a frog? I mean, is, is he suggesting that, like, all of this psychology wrapped up in this story mm. is intentionally written in that way, or it just happens naturally yeah. through subconscious? Is he suggesting the Brothers Grimm were thinking this as they wrote it down, or was it just subconscious? Oh, I that- don't know. I think they would imagine it was subconscious and i think that right. they would imagine it kind of or bruno would imagine it, it develops from the people that the brothers grim okay. are recording and, and that's another criticism he gets he doesn't historicize it so he doesn't take into account that so he, he will just analyze one version of the brothers grim as if that is the like that is the folk story without right. realizing that there are a million versions of that story so that's a criticism yeah. it gets that they're too like that is the story and that is what's happening and you can give it to like 10 different uh, psychologists and they will each say that different things represent different things. Sure. So that is a criticism of it. That's, yeah, yeah. I think it's a fair criticism. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting theory and like mm-hmm. that not completely on board, maybe. <laughs> but I've, I've also heard, you know, I've also read that as well as the criticisms, you know, fairy tales actually on a fundamental level are, are psychological rather than historical. Like, they talk about a, you know, a magical uh, boy who goes into a forest and meets a, a sticky goose and becomes the prince. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that doesn't tell us much about history, but it might tell us about True. what's going on in your mind or what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's in defense of, of psychology. But yeah, there you go. Very interesting. Uh, three very good theories there. Yeah, you like those? I like those, yeah. <laughs> Is it, is it time for the scores? I think so. So I'm very aware that you've just been utterly bombarded with <laughs> lots of information. So much. Some of it quite sophisticated and intense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what do you reckon? <laughs> it's a lot to take in. I mean, yeah, is it time to do scores? I mean, I can barely remember the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess I, I have to score it in the context of all the extra uh, behind-the-scenes stuff I've just learnt from yourself and from Pontifacts. 
and Bruno. All good theories, all with their own merit. I think the historical has got the most sort of direct, a direct correlation there, I think, between some of these actual legends which supposedly happened and mm. our story. But in a sense, I kind of have to score it as a story. Is it a good story? Absolutely. I think, you know, we heard the story and it was just very weird story really weird and, and i think the theories aren't kind of trying to rescue the story as a story they're kind no. of more to just be like what on earth is going on it's just to it's just to bring you back to to ground level <laughs> not, right, not to go okay. any higher so it's just to kind of be like oh that might be what's going on but then sure. how is the story on its own is a different thing yeah it is a different thing not groundbreaking strange story and it doesn't as we were sort of saying before, it doesn't, it doesn't go into masses of detail about quite key plot points. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it like, it's just yeah. a sort of gl- glides over things, as you said. Absolutely. No tension, no drama. No, there wasn't really. Yeah. So I think it's going to suffer a bit for that. And, but you it, know, it's, sorry, we've got to say, this was a patron chosen story. So this was like, that's right. this was battling it out against another story. It was victorious, quite substantially victorious and we were so excited about it and it doesn't quite hold up to that expectation does it no i think for me it's probably it's probably an even five an even five okay yeah what about you so i I just so happened to be reading about romanticism at the time and this kind of when i read this it perfectly dovetailed with what I was researching. Oh, topical, yeah. And gave me a <laughs> gave me an an-, an anchor in which to to actually look more into this movement, to focus looking into romanticism, and it really opened my eyes into what the Brothers Grimm were thinking. And I do think romanticism is kind of key to understanding mm-hmm. what the Brothers Grimm are doing. So I'm really yeah. grateful to the story for that. It gave me a, an in, and of course, it also allowed us to have a this collaboration with Pontifax. Ah, uh, that was yeah, highlight for sure. And it's set in Switzerland and has a Pope in it. I mean, yeah, I know. come it's on. Mental. And he just gets in his head. He basically leaves home, gets a new dad, and then goes, mm, I'm going to Rome now, and becomes Pope. Yes. What? So it does have that no- novelty to it. It's got something new yeah. in it. So actually, I think without all that, it would have been looking at three or a four from me, I have to say. Mm-hmm. B- but with all that, it pushes it up. Exactly. Two or four or five. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think I'm going to go five as well. Same as me. Ten out of 20. Ten out of 20. A perfectly <laughs> mediocre score. <laughs> Actually, I have to say, I think as a story, it's a bit lower. But with everything behind it, it definitely raises it. Because I feel like the gold, you know, the gold children, I couldn't get much out of that. Whereas the three languages, we just basically had like three lectures Sure. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that stands in its favour. And it's set in Switzerland. It does. Wow, there you go. 10 out of 20. So, we've reached the end of our cyclist stories, and it's time to pick the next batch. So, this time, just to finish the cycle, instead of picking four stories i'm i'm picking just one and the last story the series finale will be the winner of the patreon poll so two more stories and then it's the end of this series so you've only got one 
story you're going to pick now, and I'm I'm very excited. There's a lot a lot riding on this. It's your one choice. So what have you picked? I've picked the next story on Grim Reading. I think <laughs> should be <laughs> the penultimate episode is <laughs> number sixty-five thousand furs. Thousand furs. Yes. Come on. Come That's on. a title and a half. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to jump the gun. Okay. But I'm pretty sure. You're onto a winner there, Adam. Yes! You are onto a winner, son. I mean, the title, I don't know what it means, but it's exciting. I know a little bit about it already. Okay, no no spoilers, please. We won't have to wait too long for that. It'll be the next episode. This leads us on to the series finale. Okay, so we put it to you guys a while ago now. Uh, We got a poll on the Patreon for Battle of the Princesses. We had, in one corner, Cinderella in the other corner... Sleeping Beauty, a.k.a. Briar Rose. It, what? It's a titanic struggle. <laughs> it's a titanic struggle. It was a titanic struggle. It's now over and we have a victor. I think it was a bit of a one-horse race, to be fair. I mean, yes. <laughs> In many ways, yes. <laughs> it's, well, it's time to reveal the results. Don't keep me hanging. The winner, with 67% oh. of the votes, is... Sleeping Beauty, a.k.a. Briar Rose. That was my choice. (laughs) That was, once again, (laughs) that was Adam's flipping choice. What can I say? We put it in the hands of the patrons. They have spoken quite decisively, I have to say. Very decisively, I feel bad because I'd be happy either way, but... Yeah, yeah, very gracious. Briar Rose. Very gracious. I mean, yeah, actually... As the poll was going along, I actually became quite curious and I found myself wanting to vote for Sleeping Beauty. So um, <laughs> so you can't be too disappointed. I can't. No. And I, yeah, as I've said before, I think you are a master story title chooser. You've had a lot of experience <laughs> in that field. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, come on, guys, give me a break. <laughs> I want to pick a story at some point. You had one success. I can't remember what I that was one. now. No, it must have been rubbish. What was it? It was the thief and his master. That was it. Yeah, which maybe that maybe I'm being punished for that. <laughs> um, we actually had a few comments on the poll. Just checking now. We had one from Joan Stacknick, who said, "Difficult choice, since I'm assuming I know both stories, or maybe not. But the alternate title for Sleeping Beauty, i.e., Briar Rose, helped me decide. Looking forward to hearing the winner. So that was a vote there for Sleeping Beauty." And also, Lev says, I'm really hoping for Cinderella here. It's been a while since the last Certified Grim episode, and this one really left an impression on me when I read it as a kid. So I'm getting this sense that Cinderella could be pretty grim. I think it is, yeah. I think it is. But, you know, Sleeping Beauty might be as well. I'm thinking it might be. I'm hoping so. I'm excited. (laughs) Come on. Bring on the gore. What what a way... (laughs) to end series two it's been a great series yeah it has so that leads us on nicely to the next poll things are slightly more complicated this time but essentially the next poll is to choose the second episode of series three which will be starting up after our summer break so matt and i have chosen our stories so the two choices you'll be voting for are King Thrushbeard or the Valiant Little Tailor. So that's the Valiant Little Tailor or King Thrushbeard. 
you've no idea which one of us has picked which one. You just have to choose it based on the title alone. Or maybe you know the story already and you want to hear us uh, do it on the podcast. So that's King Thrushbeard or The Valiant Little Tailor. Those are two really good I know. titles. That is strong, strong field. Well, it's it's been it's been delightful. It's been a blast. It's been pretty. It's been a heavy episode. A lot of um, weighty themes flying around. A lot of psychology, philosophy, historical, <laughs> papal <laughs> stories. Stuff. Thanks again to uh, Pontifax. Yeah, thank you so much, Pontifax. That was absolutely amazing. Genuinely it's loved that. So cool. What a lovely surprise. Yes, and it's given us a lot to chew on in our <laughs> isolation. <laughs> exactly. So if you haven't heard Pontifax, uh, yeah. strongly recommend you check them out. Absolutely. And they've definitely got an episode on Fabian, the guy who was chosen to be Pope by the bird landing on his head. I'm not sure if they've got to the other ones yet, but yeah, it's good stuff. Fantastic. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think the main takeaway is if a frog tells you you're going to be the Pope, don't carry on your holiday to Rome no, if, you don't, if you don't want to be the Pope. Go back to Switzerland, yeah. Simple lesson. <laughs> Could have been a lot mode. shorter episode if <laughs> we just stuck to that. <laughs> we just said that, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'll see you next time. Not actually in Thousand Furs because... No, it is going to be a special episode we will be interviewing a very special guest. It's quite exciting. Can't wait. See you then. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how, and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Grim Reading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading. And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim. <laughs> <laughs>